You are listening to Time to Revive. This show is designed to help you get the confidence to share your faith in everyday life. The music in the background is Revival from Third Day. Hey, listeners, welcome back to Time to Revive. My name's Mark Bird. Once again, I'm going to be your host today. And we have a very special guest on the line joining me remotely today, all the way from the great white north, (laughs) as far as Ohio goes, Pastor Scott Kirsch, all the way from Delta, Ohio. Scott, welcome to the program, brother. Thank you. Good to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, this is going to be a fun discussion. As you guys have heard a couple weeks ago, we started making the transition from lifestyle evangelism, which will never go away because it's a lifestyle. It's a lifestyle that we're committed to, right? As Christians, as disciples ourselves, as believers in Jesus Christ. But we're going to now bring in the first cousin, I called it last week, and that is called discipleship. And you know what, man, that is a word that I would term religious, because what does it really mean? First of all, what is discipleship? That's multiple syllable, (laughs) and it's difficult for people, simple-minded people like myself, but it boils down to a couple simple things, and here's why I really felt like the Lord was leading me to connect with Pastor Scott today, and that is because this simple he gets it. When Scott and I met, honestly, he'll remember this. It didn't take very long, Scott, for you and I to realize we were on the same page already with evangelism and with discipleship. And of course, I love that. And uh, you guys can't see it, but looking at Scott on the Zoom call here, he's got one of our discipleship manuals on his wall right behind him. And so I just smiled when I saw this this morning because it's like, yeah, this guy gets it. But not only, Scott, do you get it, but you live it, you teach it, you breathe it, you do. Scott, what I feel led to entitle this particular episode today is why discipleship, okay? We know this, the Great Commission, and we talk about this constantly, especially during the Lifestyle Evangelism series. We talk about the Great Commission. Well, that's why evangelism. But then, Scott, why discipleship? What's the big deal, brother? Well, that's a loaded question, and um, I love it because it's the main reason why discipleship is because Jesus told us to do it. You know, he He commanded us to do it. It was the last instruction he left to the church as he said, go forth and make disciples out of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to observe all that I have commanded. And so, you know, that's that's why we do it. Number one, out of obedience. Yeah, out of obedience. You're right. Obedience to that very word, right? Which, okay, we've used that. Scott, lots of times, and my listeners have all heard it a zillion times. Now, I personally, I don't think we can hear it enough because, you know, how many times do we need to be reminded of the things Jesus said? But why did Jesus say, go make disciples? Why? Well, you know, because he he cares for people. I mean, he loves people. And uh, what did he ask Peter when after Peter had his reconciliation and and came back, you know, and repented to the Lord, and, and the Lord gave him another chance. And, you know, he said, Peter, if you love me, feed my lambs, you Amen. know, feed my sheep, feed my lambs. And, you know, people are precious to God. 
you know, as newborn babes were to desire the pure milk of the word. And, you know, and Jesus uh, in the scriptures, he's looked over Jerusalem and he wept for them. They yeah. were like a, a sheep without a shepherd. And the Bible talks about, you know, uh, Jeremiah, I'll, I'll give you shepherds who will care for your souls, you know, and then it also talks about bad shepherds, shepherds that are out there just for their own good. And I think to have the heart of Jesus is to love people and not just leave them shepherdless. You know, we, we wouldn't birth natural children and just leave them under a tree with a gallon of milk and say, good luck to you, Go, grow on your own. You know, they would start, right. they would die. We have to feed them, we have to nourish them. And, and you know, it's the same thing spiritually. These are Jesus's children. Uh, we're under shepherds, but we're his hands, we're his feet. And it's the heart of God is to see people grow and come to a greater knowledge of him. To, you know, and it's what he said in the scriptures. He says, learn of me, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. And how are they going to learn unless we, we, we go? How are they going to hear unless somebody preaches? How will they preach unless they're sent? Amen, brother. You're hitting all of it and on all cylinders, Scott. You're so right. And brother, I love it because there's a lot more in there that I hope to unpack with you today. Turn into scripture you know, which of course my listeners know that that's what we love to do. We love to turn to the scriptures, but, you know, thinking about the very early church, Scott, I'm going to take you to Acts chapter two, the very beginnings of the early church. And it says in verse 46, so continuing daily with one accord in the temple and breaking bread from house to house, they ate their food with gladness and simplicity of heart, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to the church daily those who were being saved. Okay. There's the evangelism piece, isn't it, Scott? There yes, it sir. is. Yeah. Boom. There it is. And what was happening? The Lord was adding to the church. Now, what did the early disciples, what did they do with the people that were added to the church? Well, we got to back up just a few verses here. Let's read in verse 42. This is Acts 2.42. And they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine right. and fellowship in the breaking of bread and in prayers and then fear came upon every soul, and many signs and wonders were done through the apostles. But one thing I want to point out here, and we're talking about why discipleship. Why discipleship? Well, they continued in the apostles' doctrine. What was the apostles' doctrine? The right? Word of God. Because, yeah, because then verse 46 and 47 that we just read was the fruit of that. That was what they were teaching, right? And what was happening? The Lord was adding to it. Yeah. He was blessing there because, listen, the Lord is not going to send disciples to us right. unless we're ready to disciple them. Amen. So I guess if we had a message, Scott, to the church, not just your church, not just your congregation, uh, not just sure. to your denomination, but if we had a message to the church, it's let's get our people prepared to disciple. Amen. What would your comment be on that, Scott? Without a doubt. And you said the key word there, Mark, you said prepared, because really that's the job of the fivefold ministry, isn't it? And Ephesians 4.11 yeah. is to equip the saints for the work of the ministry, to build up the household of faith that we'd all come into unity. And, and that's really what our purpose is, is to equip the saints. 
And what do we equip them for is number one, how to reproduce themselves through evangelism, you know, and making converts and bringing people to Christ. But then also too, how to take somebody from a point where they are uh, new to the Lord, a, a baby Christian, right. and develop them and grow them into a place of maturity where they're ready to do the same thing. See, there's something we miss, I think, many times is the multiplication, where not only do I make a disciple, but then I make that disciple into a disciple maker. So they repeat the the, the system, so to speak. And that's not what Paul told Timothy, to, to go forth <laughs> and find, you know, faithful men and teach them the same way that I taught you, you know, in other words, reproduce yourself and, and trust them with these things. And, and that's really what I like about the, you mentioned the P52 book. That's what I love about that is because, uh, you know, there's a place in there where it makes it very clear that a new believer needs to be in the word. They need to be in a community of other believers uh, to be discipled yep. and also to, you know, baptized and all of those fundamental things. But they also need to be able to share their faith. Yeah. And the process of sharing their faith, take somebody from a, a place of, you know, new, new birth into a place of uh, maturity. And we're there doing the same, same thing. I love the, um, you know, Billy Graham, they asked Billy Graham years ago when he was living, what he would do if God called him to a city to, to start a church. And you think he would say, I'd have a great big uh, crusade, you know, and right. win thousands of people and I, there's my church. But he didn't uh, say that because he was a little frustrated at one particular point when he would give those, do those crusades, give those altar calls. Hundreds of people would come to Jesus, quote unquote, or, you know, uh, it looked like they, they were saying the prayer. They were saying everything we wanted them to say and wanted them here. But then just a few months later on a follow-up, only a small percentage of them were actually in a church living for Christ and had a true conversion experience because of a changed lifestyle. So he, Billy Graham said this, he goes, if I were to start a church in a city, I would take myself and another man and we'd walk the streets until we found the person of peace, you know, until I found some uh, two men and I led them to the Lord. And then I would teach them, take a year and teach them to do the same thing. He figured within 10 years with that model, biblical model, it would be a church of thousands. And that's that. I think we're missing that. I think we're missing that in the body of Christ. Scott, I love that for several reasons. First of all, I never heard that part of the story before, but in doing Revive in Ohio, I can tell you I've ran into several people that worked for Billy Graham's ministry, and they, they all told me, they all had the common same story, and they said the thing that haunted Billy Graham and you know caused him to lay awake at night was that, yes, he had very blessed and successful crusades. But the follow-up piece yeah. eluded him, I think was his, uh, his words. They eluded me because how do we get the follow-up? And, and so the model was typically when, when Billy, and by the way, we, we borrowed the same model from Billy Graham. Uh, when he was going to announce a crusade and do a crusade in a city, he would send in teams of people ahead of time about six months in advance and equip and train the churches surrounding that area, okay, right. to be prepared to follow up and, here we go, disciple those people that came forward in the crusade. Mm -hmm. And what they found, which I'd love to kind of head down this path maybe today with you, Scott, is they found that the churches were equipped and ready, and they were standing at the front door with their discipleship follow-up material in their arms, literally. And nobody showed up. Ah, yeah. 
So here's my point, Scott, and you have to ask the question, and Billy did, and his ministry did, why don't the people show up at church the next Sunday? Well, I got the answer to that. Jesus said, go ye, not y'all come. Ooh, so that's so good. Yeah, we go to connect with them. And we need to connect with them. We need to reach them. And here's the thing. If, you know, if it was a true conversion, uh, it's not going to take much effort. You know, we've all led people to the Lord. They've said the prayer. We badgered them enough. They said the prayer. Uh, and they, there was really no true conversion. Right. So, you know, and you got to beg them to get to church. You got to beg them to read their Bible. There's just like lights are on at nobody's home. We've all had that. But then there are those that you can see a change, like the man I'm discipling right now, uh, you know, he led him to the Lord in his hospital bed, and he he experienced the Lord. He, he the, the Spirit of God bore witness with his spirit, there, and there was a change. There's a change in his life. His eyes are open. He's reading the Word. He's understanding. He's got a thirst for the Word. There's a change in his life. So, you know, we're almost done with P52, him and I, you know, and, and he's like, what are we going to do next? Well, I'm like, well, what you're supposed to do next is do this with somebody else. <laughs> but, you That's know, I, you know, but but what but I, I am going to bring him along a little further. And, and because of his health issues and stuff, he's not able to come into church yet. But uh, that's going to change soon. But we're so focused, Mark, I believe, on getting people in the buildings. And we've we've made our buildings into such an idol. And buildings are good, and we need buildings because in, in the Western culture, that's the only thing they understand as far as the church is concerned is the steeple, the people, and, and the pews. So we've got to work within the system. We can't throw the baby out of the bathwater. But, you know, within the church, we need to create a culture of reproduction. We need to create a culture of discipleship. We need to create a culture of evangelism, and that the two are hand in hand. So to answer your question, I think they're not coming because— they're not interested in church for the most part. Maybe they're interested in Christ, and they certainly should be interested in connection. But you know what? They're not in a hurry and busting down the doors to get into a building because of the concepts they have with the building. And, you know, the early church didn't have buildings. You know, it wasn't until the third century that buildings emerged and steeples and cathedrals and all of that. But the early church did, according to the book of Acts chapter 2, house to house, breaking bread, community, connection, one-on-one discipleship, small groups in the small house setting, accountability. And now you read some of that stuff, Mark, in, in the book of Acts. And when they talk about correcting somebody and, and you rebuking them, we, we like, oh, my goodness, I can't imagine because we think about it from a Western mindset in a, in, a, in a cathedral or a building. And we think the pastor is with a church of 100 people or 200 people. OK, I'm going to call Joe out over here because maybe, you know, he's slipping a little bit off the wagon. So I'm going to call him out in front of everybody and, and chastise him in front of 200 people. Well, that is treacherous. But see, they did this in a small group of of safety, a family, a community. So it wasn't as destructive. It was more of a, Joe, we care about you. And Joe, the the five of us in this room, we're starting to see that you're you're heading in the wrong direction, buddy. And we need to bring you back, Joe. You know, that's totally different. But we look at church through the Western mindset and through the modern day mindset instead of the book of Acts model. Yeah, it's godly, loving correction, right? Because the scripture clearly teaches us that God chastens those who he loves, which means corrects. He corrects those who he loves. Like what parent just allows their children to run in the street and hindered? No, they they detain them because they love them. Now that takes me, Scott, over to another passage of scripture in the book of Acts, 
Okay, because we we opened this up and we started talking about the apostles' doctrine. And we're unpacking why discipleship. Well, if I would ask you, Scott, or really any of the listeners today, if I would ask you, what was Paul most known as? Paul the... Apostle. Apostle. Right. Well, okay. So then did he have a doctrine? Sure. Well, he did. Of course he did. It's a doctrine of Jesus Christ. But Paul was also an evangelist. Would you agree that Paul was an evangelist? Yep. Was Paul a disciple maker? He certainly was. He certainly was. He didn't have that title pinned on him. But listen to what it says in Acts chapter 17, starting verse 10. Then the brethren immediately sent Paul and Silas away by night to Berea. And when they arrived, they went into the synagogue of the Jews. Okay, so they're going to meet with the Jews. These were more fair-minded, noble-minded, it's translated, than most of those in Thessalonica, in that they received the word with all readiness and searched the scriptures daily to find out whether these things were so. So they're hearing the word of God and they're searching the scriptures to see if, is this correct or not? Therefore, in verse 12, therefore, many of them believed, and also not a few of the Greeks, prominent women as well as men. We won't go down that road yet, Scott. That's for another episode. But listen to this. Here's we go in the next couple of verses. But when the Jews from Thessalonica learned that the word of God was preached by Paul at Berea, they came there also and stirred up the crowds. Then immediately the brethren sent Paul away to go to the sea, but both Silas and Timothy remained there. Why did they do that, Scott? To disciple, to establish the church so Paul could be free to go do what Paul did, which was evangelize and break new ground. That's exactly right. So, Scott, did Paul believe in discipleship? Oh, absolutely. He so did, because you unpacked this earlier. You're like, yeah, he left men behind. Yeah, he disciples the disciples. That is exactly right. And so you know what they did? I guarantee you what these two guys did, because Silas was a missionary with Paul, and so was Timothy. He said, Timothy, my son. So he was teaching him this all the way. So my point is, why discipleship? In answering that question, Scott, why discipleship? Well, Jesus said it. You said that in the opening of the show. Jesus said it, not a suggestion. Is the Great Commission a a great suggestion or is it a great commandment? Command. Right. And so now here we go. And maybe, arguably, some people might say Paul was the greatest apostle. Of course, he wasn't better than his master, but yet he's known as the great apostle, right? And yet here's Paul, and he's on this missionary journey, and he meets these believers who are doing what, Scott? They're willing to get in the Word. They're willing to search the Scriptures. They're willing to seek out truth. And he says, you know what? I'm glad to see this. And I'm, yeah. I'm paraphrasing a bit, but I'm going to leave you, Silas and Timothy, yeah. right, to help what? Disciple you. Yeah. He doesn't use those words, but literally that's what he's doing here because he yeah. believed in it. Absolutely. And what does it do? And it says, verse 15, I'll wrap with this. Uh, So those who conducted Paul brought him to Athens and receiving a command from Silas and Timothy to come to him with all speed, they departed. Do you see what's happening? And there's instances, if you read in Acts 19, and again, for time's sake, we don't have time to unpack all of this, 
But in verse 19, Paul himself pulled up and stayed in the city for two years. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Now, wait a minute. I thought he was supposed to go. Well, he did. We all know that he did go and he went well. Right. But then there were times when God, the Holy Spirit directed Paul, hey, pull up, set up camp, if you will. Right. Set up a tent, but stay here and pour into these people for and Paul did it for two years. Sure. So if he didn't believe in discipleship. If he didn't believe in that last part of the Great Commission, which says teaching them to observe all I've commanded, mm-hmm. that's the discipleship piece. Whether or not folks realize that or not, to me, if you look at the four facets of the Great Commission, teaching them to observe all of I, I've commanded, like my question is, how long does it take to do that, Scott? Oh, lifetime. It does. Lifetime. And so just like lifestyle evangelism, it's lifestyle discipleship as well. You got it. Spiritual parenting. It you is. Know, how many times does Paul use the the phrase and a word son? You know, he's a son in the faith, or I'm a father to him. Right. You on. know, he even says it in the scriptures. He goes, "You have many instructors, many, but not many fathers." You know, and it's there's the impartation. It's not just you know we're we're so institutionalized as the church and we want to give so much information and instruction, but we've missed that impartation. You know, we have, you know, pastors, sometimes we can, they they can be aloof and they can be distant and, and touch me not, but that's not the biblical model. Pastors were approachable. Pastors would lay their life down for the sheep. Pastors were connectors and we're all called to be connectors. And I think of, of Paul, when he says in Thessalonians, he goes, my trophy is you all. Right. Is, is the souls. And that's what we're going to stand before God at the end of our life. And we're going to have to give an account for our sheeps, how many souls have we brought to the Lord that have stayed and remained? And that it can only happen through pure discipleship, relational discipleship. Scott, I love this. And one more question I have as we sort of wrap up, and I, I promised you the time will run so fast. Yes. Scott, but think about this because um, in Titus chapter two, and I'm not going to go there for time's sake and all that, but when you start looking at it's telling the older women to, again, I'm going to say the word quotes, disciple the younger women, right? It says teach, but it yep. is the same in the church. Scott, yep. what would it look like in the local church? I'm saying if we even adopted the Titus two model in our own local churches where the older men We're discipling the younger men and the older women were discipling the younger women. What effect would that start to have on the local church? I think it would blossom. I think it would grow beyond measure. And I think it would be a a generational. It would extend through the cultures. It would extend through the generations. You know, I think it would transform our cities, turn them upside down. I really do. I do too. And, and you know, of course, Scott, going along with this discipleship discussion in these mentoring roles that we're kind of describing yeah. in that you're going to teach them to evangelize as well. So a part of the, and this is why I call it their first cousins, they're inseparable, right? right? Like you can't really have the one without the other and you can't have discipleship without evangelism. And you really shouldn't do evangelism without discipleship. 
but in this kind of relationship I'm talking about between the men and the women and, and teaching the younger ones to do, I think what that's what is missing in the fabric, not only Scott interlocal churches, which it's, it's, it's obvious, but it's what's missing from the fabric of America. It is. And I believe that the family units are crumbling and, if you will, Scott, not your church, but I'm saying there are churches crumbling because we've lost this foundation. Amen. Amen. Well said. So true. We don't connect anymore. Right, Scott. Brother, we we need to pray, don't we? Like never before. You know, people go, wow, that's a that's a bleak picture of the body of Christ, of the church, of of America. That's a bleak picture. I believe it's a reality picture, but, and this is my favorite word in the Bible, but God. Amen. Right? Because every time, you know, and Jesus himself says, well, with man, that's impossible. <laughs> but with God, all things are possible. What's beautiful is that's still our motto in Ohio. Do you yes. know, I just learned that this week, Scott, Ohio is the only state in the union that has a scripture as their state motto. Is that right? Yeah. With God, all things are possible. That's our Ohio state model. And we're the only state in the union that has a scripture as a state motto. That's why we have the best football team in college. Amen, brother. (laughs) (laughs) I love this. Seriously, as we prepare to wrap up this whole thing here, I'm super appreciative of your heart. And I would say this, Scott, and, and you're a pastor, you're shepherding a flock, and you're involved in evangelism and discipleship locally in your community. You are open-minded. You are open to what the Holy Spirit's leading and guiding is. But as we begin to close, Scott, as a pastor, as if our listeners are members of your church, Mm -hmm. Scott, what advice would you give us today about why discipleship? Number one advice, again, as I said at the beginning of this, is because of it's the Lord's requirement, what the Lord's mandate, what he told us to do. But also, too, because that's really what the church is designed to do. Yeah. We've, and we've turned the church into something that it's really not supposed to be, an institution, a machine. And as a pastor, you know, the biggest challenge is to, you know, I need to put people in position to keep the doors open, to keep the programs running, to keep things moving. And I think to myself, if only... I didn't need them to mow the lawn. If they could spend four hours a week discipling somebody instead of on the lawn more. Uh, and then I, my challenge is, how do we do this? How do we, uh, you know, not throw the baby out of the bathwater? Because we need the building. We need this, you know, all of that. But the thing is, if I could challenge the people listening is try it. Just pray, ask the Lord to show you your schedule, show you what you can give a week, a month to discipleship, to another person. Um, go to a church be a part of the Revival Ohio that comes into your area and be trained and equipped. It's not hard. It really isn't. In fact, it's the most natural thing in the world to a believer. And the tools that, that Revival Ohio gives with the, the, the bracelet, the color-coded bracelet, along with the, the scriptures, and going up to somebody in a very non-intrusive way and asking them simply, how may we pray for you? That opens up the door. And not everybody's but going to receive that, but the doors that are open are the people of peace. And I just want to encourage people listening or, or, you know, that's in churches that are wondering, and what can I do more? Well, this is what you can do. Step out of your comfort zone. Get beyond your fear. 
once you get trained and once you get equipped, you know, driving a car was intimidating for all of us when we were 13, 14 or 15 until we got our driver's ed, we got our permit. And that's the second, it's the most natural thing in the world to us now, right? So is this. This is how God created us. We're relational. He wants you to reproduce. He wants you to be fruitful and multiply. Just give it a try. Scott, very, very well said. I, I wanted the listeners to hear your heart. I wanted them to hear what you as a pastor and from experience, Scott, this isn't just textbook stuff. This isn't theology. This is what you've realized and lived. Yes. And, and I'll tell you, Mark, we've fallen short. I wish I could tell you that my church is blowing and going with this and we have a great culture of this, but it takes time to create that. Amen. And, and I think people want to do it, but there are two things. They're scared. And uh, number two, uh, they don't know where they can fit it in in their life, their busy lifestyles. And we've already got 20% of the people in a church doing 80% of the work and they're, you know, and then they say, Hey, I want you to disciple on top of it. Right. So pray for us pastors too, that are really Amen. trying to create this. You know, when you, when you start a new church from the ground up, it's a little easier to do that, you know, cause you build, bake that in right away to your culture and your vision. But, you know, when we work in an existing churches and, and that have been there for a long time, and then to change the mindset and, and to create this, to birth it is very difficult. So I covet your prayers. I covet everybody's prayers that's, that's listening, that we could do it better. I need to do it better. As much as I do do it, I need to do it better. Pastor and, Scott Kirsch from Delta, Ohio. Thank you so much for joining us today, sharing your wisdom, Scott, sharing your own personal experiences and sharing your insight as well. Because and I felt led just a couple of minutes ago, Scott, to say, hey, folks, would you please, and that's why I said your name again, would you please pray for Pastor Scott and the other pastors, the ones that you know, that you have a relationship, pray for your own pastor, because these are some of the common struggles, okay, that we're all trying to, to live out the Great Commission. We are, and so would you please add prayer, and Scott, it's not that hard. Like you said, we're all super duper busy. Everybody that you talk to, hey, how you doing? What's the most common answer that you get? Well, I'm busy. Oh, yeah, right? yeah. 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 I'm great. I'm super yeah. busy. But listen, okay, you might not think you can fit in discipleship, but you can pray for your pastor. You hey. can pray for him driving down the road to work or whatever that looks like. But folks, thanks for tuning in and be sure to tune in again next week. As you know, we're going to have another special guest. And we will unpack what God is saying to us about discipleship. And you've been listening to Time to Revive. Thanks for listening to Time to Revive. This show has been brought to you by Rise FM and Revive Ohio. More information about this program at risefmohio.com. The Rise FM Podcast Network.